When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Managing Madrid Podcast listeners? This is Kian Sabani. What you're about to dive into here is a small clip taken from the Al-Ahli postgame show, and it runs about 18 minutes, uh, and yeah, that's small. It's small compared to what the entire podcast was, about an hour and a half long. Shortly after Real Madrid beat Al-Ahli 4-1, Ewan McTeer and I jumped on Zoom. We were joined by a bunch of patrons live on the call. We broke down that game to its core, every single detail, every single player performance, tactical wrinkles from both sides. The Sergio Arribas masterclass, the greatest 30-second cameo in Real Madrid history. We did video breakdown. We took questions right on the call. People actually spoke to us face-to-face when we answered it. It was so much fun, and all of these post-game shows are really fun because once a week, at least now, we do these live Zoom calls. We've revved it up. We've gone from like once a month to once a week. And not only get access to that, but you also get access to the weekly mailbag where Lucas Navarrete and I answer questions submitted from patrons and we go through it. That's going up tomorrow, by the way. So it's a good time to join tonight, Thursday, so you can get access to the Friday show. If you want access to timely content, sometimes, you know, people don't see the podcast. I'm like, why didn't you guys record a post-game podcast for this game? We did. We absolutely did, and we did it very timely. If you want access to it and you don't want to miss a beat, again, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Today's clip is about Kamavinga, left back, whether that's sustainable or not. Uh, Nacho and Rudigo's performance, Tony Cruz's performance, Vinicius and Rodrigo, and more. And again, the full episode was one hour and a half. So enjoy the clip. Thanks for watching slash listening, and let's get to it. Yeah, I think we can start there. You mentioned, you know, we're going to get to the come up and the thing. I think we can start with that, actually. I think it's an interesting talking point, partly because one of the things that we always say on this podcast anytime says is come up and the, the permanent left back solution or something like he can play there all the time. And uh, I always just my my word of caution was no one has tested him yet. And I, I didn't think Al-Ahli was going to be the one that tests them, but they, you know, just by nature of making runs and behind, I thought they did test them. And El-Shahad also played well and, you know, was was giving us some problems with his run behind. The one that struck me is that the first, and again, I haven't gone back and rewatches to say, to, um, to confirm if what I'm saying is absolutely accurate or not. But, but based on my notes, the first real dangerous transition attack that Al-Ahli had came in the 19th minute. And it was it was a transition attack and Kamavinga makes the wrong decision on who to mark. He takes the wrong man and on top of that keeps him on side. And we were just lucky not to concede that. And I think there were just moments like that and obviously the penalty later and a couple other times. I don't, I'm not, this is not a segment to, to bash Kamavinga who is, I think no secret, one of my favorite players in the world. I actually thought he was really good from a ball progression standpoint. Um, but I just, the point here is that I think if teams test him, 
we may have a different reality and a different assessment of him at that position. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we can't remember the last time I was on, but we, it was one of the Camavinga left-back games, and um, I think it was Real Sophie's had maybe. And um, we were talking about, you know, is this really a solution or whatever? And my opinion then was, like, forget it. Like, he's playing there because, like, four different injuries have happened, not just to Mondi, but also uh, to Alaba at that point, to the right-backs. That meant natural couldn't be that. There was just a perfect storm, or imperfect if you're Camavinga. Um, that meant he had to be at left back. And that perfect storm has kind of maintained itself until now, even though Alaba's back, there's injuries elsewhere, which meant he had to be at centre-back today because now Militao's out. So um, just because of injuries in a few very specific positions, that's why is there. He's really like the fourth, maybe fifth choice left back. Um, so normally he should never have to play there. But what I've been thinking these last couple of games, especially this one tonight, when he's really struggling when they're coming at him, attacking them in the first half, those transition opportunities out wide, uh, really struggling, obviously gives away the penalty, uh, has a couple of uh, errors in the in the second half. But ball progression-wise, you're right, he was really getting forward. He could bring it himself. He links up so well with Vinicius on that wink when he's going forward. And I was starting to think maybe the, maybe the time you do get Camavinga at left-back is in a game when Real Madrid are losing, in the Champions League, the kind of games that they won last year. And you bring on Camavinga, you put him at left back, you take off Mondi if he's not giving you anything going forward. And that's fine because he's not going to get attacked so much because if you're winning, whoever you're facing is not going to be coming forward all that much. And if they are, if there's, you know, four versus three counterattacks as normal in that situation anyway. But I was thinking Camavinga from the start, Camavinga as a left back, you saw it even just with that offside you mentioned. That's just the kind of thing that defenders grow up learning over years and years of experience when to move up, when to not. You can't teach that overnight. You can't teach that in a season. You even see Lucas Vasquez struggle with that and he's been two or three seasons in a, a defensive role now. But when Real Madrid are losing a big Champions League game at the Bernabeu, second leg, he's hardly going to have any defensive work to do. So you can take off a left back, put Camavinga there, and you have an extra uh, attacking piece coming from left back. Of course, then it means you don't have him in midfield where he was so good last season. But to me, that seems like the only way we'll see him at left back anymore is in situations when Real Madrid are behind. Well, that's kind of what happened in the World Cup final in, in mm-hmm. some, in some mm-hmm. capacity. <clears throat> and also, you know, he, he, if he comes on in that scenario, he may not be the traditional left back either because you said you, you, all, you miss out on having him in midfield. I think in that scenario, if the season is on the line and Kamavinga enters the field, He's not going to be really playing left back. You take off a left back, probably go shift to like three at the back, keep a really high line, and Kamavinga goes and plays basically a left center forward, mm-hmm. um, which is he likes to be up the field as much as he possibly can. So, I, and also, I just want Kamavinga on the field in that scenario, regardless. I don't care if he's mm-hmm. playing goalkeeper, striker, or defender. If we're if we're getting eliminated from the Champions League, he should be on the field in any scenario. So. So that's the kind of the Kamavinga stuff out of the way. Again, I actually thought like on the ball, he was generally pretty good. Maybe a couple of times he wasn't, but yeah, he had, uh, again, he was getting involved in the attack and, um, and I thought overall looked pretty good on the ball. What was your kind of read on how everything was unfolding in the first half from a tactical level from both sides? Because Al-Ahli's coach said before the game that he doesn't want to go and change his the way yeah. he plays. He wants to go and attack Real Madrid. Uh, I, I think mostly how this unfolded was Real Madrid would circulate possession. They would try to press. 
I think the press wasn't great, but also Al Athletes, I have a really hard time saying that. Al Athletes' um, buildup also wasn't great passing out of the back to really exploit it. But I'm curious to know what your assessment was. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange competition in that sense where like Real Madrid are such a favorite against Al Ali, but uh, most of the games they play, they're by far the favorite. You know, it's like imagine Real Madrid, who's the favorite in almost every game, European. World Cup, whatever, suddenly has to go and play like some team from Mars, and they're just like play from like uh, ultra UEFA. That's just better. It's it's a different kind of way. They they're never the underdogs like they are in this situation. Like, so they're not used to that at all. Uh, the coach isn't used to them having to be in the back foot, not have the ball that much. And you could tell they kind of struggled in that first half because they didn't really know what to do. I think it was in the second half when they were behind, when they could chase the game a bit more, when they really started to press and press well, that they felt a bit more comfortable. Um, but in the first half, they did a they did a fairly good job playing in that sort of defensive that defensive shape. And Real Madrid couldn't really break them open all that much, apart from a couple Vinicius and Rodrigo uh, runs through, which really, again, we've seen it quite a lot, even when Benzema's on the pitch, but especially when he's not. They just huddle so close together. They their position. Rodrigo, when he plays the number nine, he's basically playing alongside Vinicius, and they combine so well with each other. They have this natural understanding, and it's almost like right. I've had a goal. Now you have a goal. And we saw that in the first half. There was the uh, Vinicius chance that he kind of just missed, and he keeps running. He's running so fast that he then leans on the advertising board, and then two seconds later, Rodrigo has the same kind of chance. He hits the post with his, and he leans on like the exact same spot on the advertising board that was uh, just, you know, a double-pronged attack from that left side, almost nothing from the right. But you could see what Real Madrid's plan was, which was, let's hope one of the Brazilians does something here. That's been the plan all season. That's part of the problem of this season. That's sometimes been too reliant on that, not a plan B. Um, but eventually it worked because Vinicius, of course, opened the scoring and, and was dangerous all through the second half too. So, I'd like to uh, expand on what you just said in the Vinicius-Rodrigo link-up and all that in a second, but I do want to go back to some of the discussion about Real Madrid's defense. Um, there was a period, especially in the second half, after we went up 2-0, and somewhere uh, between the 2-0 and us eventually making it 3-1. So when they win their penalty and they had a couple more chances, Lunin made one big save mm -hmm. off a corner there was a period where they almost equalized and a lot of our tracking was really poor. And I thought Cruz was in part a culprit of that. The first of all, Cruz like on the ball again, no question. Um, balls over the top to Vinicius were great passing, progressive passing, vertical passing, all great. I think he just lets markers run behind him, kind of oblivious sometimes and a little bit too easily beat. So that I thought was a problem. On the flip side, I thought some of our defensive sequences were actually quite heroic. I thought Nacho had a really good game defensively. He had and two... offensively, Nacho too. <laughs> some of the runs he went on, um, we spoke about Camavinga's um, you know, progression. Nacho down that right wing, sometimes he just uh, he went for it. There was in the third minute, he's in the right half space in the box, and mm -hmm. that and Fede finds him, and I'm like, what is he doing? Why is Nacho there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually thought he would he should have shot in that situation. He he kind of hesitated and cut it back, and it was intercepted. But yeah, he was really great defensively, and just his reads and interceptions were were really great. And I thought Rudiger again 
had a really good game. This has been, mm-hmm. I don't know how many games in a row now. It started off like, okay, just he didn't have a poor game and there wasn't anything to talk about him, that which was good. Like, it's the kind of thing, like, no news is good news. And then I think progressively, yeah. he's just been really good. Again, his defensive reads have been good. He's been a little bit more composed on the ball. Hasn't given them away and, and panicked or anything for whatever reason he was going through that phase. So that, Nacho and Rudiger were two of the standouts for me from a defensive standpoint. And I think they actually did a really good job to just not only put out some fires, but also just calm the game down a little bit, building out of the back. I, I thought those two were really good. Rodrigo and Vinicius, you brought up the their link up and stuff. I thought it was interesting. We didn't really see it as much in the second half, but in the first 25, 30 minutes of the game, especially, I thought it was interesting that Vinicius was playing centrally and trying to get away from the wing. And this is something that we talked about as well. If he can't, if he's struggling on, you know, beating his full back or if there's too many bodies that he has to beat to cut in and, and he doesn't have space, why not just let him roam a little bit? Get away from the right back. Go away to the other side. Go centrally. I don't think he necessarily struggled that much. Like that was because right away he was doing it. It's not like he tested the right back first and then it wasn't working. He, like, he just kind of roamed a little bit centrally. That was interesting. I also liked Rodrigo in this game in general. I think he has a case for man of the match. Yep. Uh, he was playing in close proximity to Vinicius for most of this game. Providing him with an outlet, linking up between them. The goal was obviously brilliant. His pressing was good. So I thought I thought Rodrigo was really good. But do, is there anything you wanted to expand on, on that, on either of those two players? No, definitely. I think Rodrigo for sure could be considered man of the match. Don't remember as well the shot he had just off the post. That was if that goes yeah. in, that's one. That's a really great goal. Almost like the uh, the one he had against Casarino, where he just like comes in from that um, sort of position out left, and and you know obviously a different kind of goal, but just makes things happen. So um, no, for sure he was brilliant. Vinicius too had one of his better games. Um, yeah, the Vinicius thing was interesting because I think we came into this match thinking, okay. Um, there's so much going on around Vinicius in Spain. Every player in La Liga, every defender is out to get him. The referees in La Liga, the Real Madrid take is that the referees are uh, against him. The referees aren't uh, helping him. And then we come into this game thinking, okay, it could be different. Even Ancelotti said, you know, the problem um, is Spanish football. We come into this game and 20 seconds, I think it was, um, Mohamed Hani just floors him in the, in the first uh, minute of the game. That's a foul. Um, and then he actually picks up one other foul, which is the, the second penalty, the one that was given. But throughout the game, he's getting pushed, shoved, provoked by opponents. He gets into a couple of arguments. Um, this was kind of the same sort of Vinicius game we've been used to. Um, we thought, I think, I, I thought maybe being outside of Spain, it could be a little bit different. But actually, it surprised me a little um, how much the Ali defenders were adopting the same kind of tactics as La Liga defenders have been adopting through the past few weeks. Only two fouls, but really this could his average a season in La Liga is four fouls per game. It could easily have been that if the referee had given some of the ones that um, he somehow waved away, such as I'm sure we'll talk about it, the, the first penalty. Well, he, I mean, you pointed out that, you know, maybe you were surprised this wasn't um, completely different because it wasn't against a Spanish opponent. I think if you just, if Al-Ahli today are just a different Spanish team, it's probably just a lot worse than, than what we saw. Um, 
the goal was brilliant. Really took mm-hmm. it well. I, I wrote about I I no I didn't write about I wrote about this but I didn't publish it yet. Um, his dribbling percentage has dropped to a career low. He's attempting a lot, but it's down from forty three percent last year to thirty four percent this year. Today mm-hmm. he was four of eleven on his dribbling attempts. I think he also just had that element to him, like no matter what, if he's if he's having a poor game or not, he's going to have one moment, two moments. He earned a penalty. He scored a goal. Um, he had a couple of nice runs, even if he didn't have a high, an efficient dribbling night. There were still parts of me, and I don't know if I can prove it, but you look at him, he just looks a little bit leg-heavy and, and tired and could use. Like yeah. the, the yellow card he got against Mallorca, when it said misses next match on the screen, I was like, mm. "I, that could be a much needed misses next match." Yeah, and the next match is home to bottom place LJ, so that's actually perfect. Um, and 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 Aribas now is is here to save save us, so uh, <laughs> it could be a great opportunity. Um, but yeah, well, this is this was also a, like potentially this is a game where you rest Vinicius. If you have, you know, every game is important. It's a semi final of a Club World Cup, but. If you're playing so like I think it's like nine games in February um, that Real Madrid have February the shortest month nine games you just played Mallorca with less than seventy two hours rest you've got this game you've travelled to Morocco like you don't want to rest and not use your best players in the game as important as this is for Real Madrid to obviously want to win this title but other games are more important you know the Champions League coming up is more important every La Liga game now is important because you can't afford to drop a single more point to Barcelona. So this was, you know, a potential opportunity to, to rest Vinicius. You hope everyone gets it done. Maybe you bring him on if you need him. Um, and then you use him in the final and then he gets Nick's midweek off as well and can kind of recharge. But no, um, he played almost the whole game, uh, substituted off with a few minutes to go. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right, like heavy, because he's the players played the most uh, by far for, for Real Madrid this season. Okay, well... On that note, Angelotti said after the game um, that Militao and Benzema are going to be coming back. Mm. Yeah, not good. Yeah. Why? Just let them stay home. Yeah. Why do we need to force them to play right now? More than anything, probably to be honest, uh, to be there with the celebration and everything like that, you know. Oh, fine, um, fine. If that's ben, the case, that's Benzema's, fine. Benzema's one trophy away from Michelin Marcello, like these, you know, um, like I get it. The final is a final, and it's you know the World Cup final, and you know it's if you win it, it's it's amazing, and you know if you don't, you don't really care about it. But the semi final, um, surely you can kind of get through this without needing Vinicius, without needing Militao and Benzema, which has proven to be the case, and you can bring them for the final, have them in the squad a few minutes if you're up by a few goals. You know, um, it's it's an interesting tournament. It's an awkward tournament. It's a tournament I don't think Real Madrid would want to play, especially in this year with the National Team World Cup. But you're playing it. But at the same time, this, I think, is a better opportunity to get rest than any La Liga or Copa del Rey game because it's Barcelona semi-final or obviously Champions League game. Elche coming up, maybe that does factor into Maybe Ancelotti has that penciled in. Elche on Wednesday night, next Wednesday in La Liga at home. We can rest some players there. But 
on this, I don't think Ancelotti looks that far ahead. I think he just picks the best team um, for one game, maybe two at a time. And that's how sometimes his teams do run out of legs at the end of seasons. Didn't happen last year, or at least Real Madrid won the league so early that um, we didn't see if it would happen. But that's happened throughout his career. So, um, yeah, I would have rested some more players in this one, even with all the injuries that you already had. Sports Social Podcast Network.